what you should pray for each other? <laughs> Have you ever thought carefully about what you should pray for your spouse? What you should pray for your children? What you should pray for your grandchildren, your, your siblings, your parents, your, your pastor? <laughs> I ask that because it's likely that we, we often don't give much thought to this. What should we pray for each other? Because typically when we pray for each other, we're thinking about people's immediate needs, their physical needs. We, we typically just pray for those obvious concerns. In a way, that's what we do when we gather here on Wednesday evenings. We produce a prayer list, and we hand it out, and we distribute it by email, and we come here during the week on Wednesday, and we pray, and we mention the things before God that are on our list, and we mention the things before God that are on our hearts. And that's a good thing, don't get me wrong. That's good that we have a prayer list, and we pray for those obvious needs. But have you ever stopped to think that those aren't the only things that you should be praying for each other? The, uh, you shouldn't just be praying for the obvious needs. It, it is a special thing when we gather together. I was thinking about it as we drove in to prayer meeting Wednesday night, how, how remarkable this is. As, as uh, people are busy going about their business, you know, in the evening, 6.30, we're headed this way, and, and there's traffic, and people have places to go and things to do, and yet people all over, especially in the United States, as we think about a Wednesday night at seven o'clock, there's people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people gathering all over the nation to pray, to pray, to give themselves to praying. That's remarkable and that's really good. That's a good thing, we must do that. But when we come to verses nine through 11 in Philippians one, we find there's another way we should be praying for each other. We shouldn't be stopping at just the things that are obvious. There is a wonderful model of prayer. And I don't know if you've ever thought of this as you read these verses that we're gonna to read together this morning, that you've looked at this as a, as a way to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ, a way to pray for your spouse, a way to pray for your children, a way to pray for your pastor, for your missionaries, for your fellow believers. It is, it is a wonderful model prayer. It would be perfect to just take these words and pray them for each other wholeheartedly before God. And we're going to see in Philippians 1, verses 9 through 11, that not only is it important that you pray, and that you pray for the things that are obvious, but it's also important what you pray for them beyond the obvious. I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read verses 9 through 11 from the English Standard Version. Philippians 1, verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God." Can we just pause right there and pray and ask for God's help as we 
dig deeper into this passage together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We thank you for this time that we are able to gather, and, and we pray that you would help us to set aside the things that are going on in our world, in our lives, and our minds right now, and ask that you would have your way with your word in our hearts in these few moments we share together this morning. Help us to humble ourselves before the truth of your word, that you might teach and instruct us and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. If you want to know what to pray for each other, you could simply pray these verses. <laughs> Think of the people who sit near you right now. Think of the people in this room. Think of the people who would like to be in this room who are not in this room. Think of the people who are uh, far reaches beyond this place that you love and care about, and you could pray these verses for them, and you'd be doing much good for yourself and for them. But I want you to see there are six things that Paul prays for his fellow believers at Philippi, and these are the things that, that we should be praying for each other. And I want you to note first that Paul prayed for their love. You see it there in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. Paul says in verse 9, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. It's interesting that Paul is not praying for their love to begin. He doesn't say, I'm praying that you're going to start loving someday. They'd already shown their love for Paul by their faithful support of him and care for his needs. We're going to hear him mention that in this letter. These were believers who were already showing love. But he's still praying for their love. This is interesting, and I think it's encouraging. He's still praying for their love to abound more and more. That is, he's praying that their love would increase and keep getting bigger and keep growing and getting more intense and even overflow into the lives of other people more and more. He wants them to be so full of God's love, so full of loving people God's way, the Jesus way, that it would be impossible to stop them. So full to the point of overflow with the love of God for themselves and for God's people and for people who need God, that they wouldn't be able to be stopped in loving people. And it wasn't just their love for other people, but also their love for God that Paul was praying would abound and increase and overflow. In fact, true wholehearted love for God because God's Word says, love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says, and love people as yourself. Right? That love for God that is abounding and overflowing and unstoppable will result in a love for people. And that leads us to the second thing he prays for them. It's not just more love he's praying for. He prays for their love to be shaped by... Look at verse 9 again, knowledge and all discernment. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge. 
and all discernment. Simply being loving toward people isn't enough. You could, you could say like a, a parent says to a child, just love your brother. <laughs> just love your sister. Just be more loving. Okay. But thankfully, God's Word doesn't do that. God's Word says, here is how. Here's how. Simply being loving toward people isn't enough. And knowing about love isn't enough. I mean, I could know all about love and just totally forget it. Love is an act of the will. Love is a choice. I mean, that, you know, the, that's so counter to what the culture tells us at times. The, the culture teaches us that you can fall in and out of love, but God's Word says, no, no, you are commanded to love. And you, to do that properly, you need discernment. You need wisdom. You need knowledge. You need discernment to apply the knowledge of love in practical, everyday circumstances. And sometimes the Bible doesn't actually give us the exact details of how that works out. And so you need knowledge and discernment so that, so that when you practice love toward people, you're doing it God's way because He's shaping your, your, your lover, if I can say it that way, your, your ability to love. So how do you learn to love that way? Well, you might be surprised by this, but the answer to that question is the same answer to many questions in the Christian life. You need the Bible for that. I hope you don't get tired of hearing me say that because I have like one note, and that's the one note that I most often sing. You need the Bible for that. I need the Bible for that. God has given us a book, and we had better not neglect it. I'm encouraged that you are gathered here, and you're actually, I think you're listening to me. <laughs> because I, preach, I want to preach God's Word because we need God's Word. If we're going to learn to love and have knowledge and all discernment in our love, we need to be shaped by what the Bible says. We need to be word-centered. Your life needs to be word-centered, and that means you need to be submissive to the word. You need to come to God's word and say, say to yourself, this is God's word. I must obey. Now note, the purpose for which Paul is praying for their love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. The purpose was so that they may approve what is excellent. That's the third thing he's praying for them, to approve what is excellent. What does it mean to approve what is excellent? Well, what he's saying is that love that is being properly informed and properly shaped by God's Word shaped by God's love, and God's love is defined and explained and demonstrated in the Word of God, the Bible, through the very real love of God for you in Christ Jesus. That love that's being shaped by God's love will, with knowledge and discernment, properly love other people. And I say properly because there are ways that we could, we could say, I'm going to love that person by doing this, and that may not be what's best for them. And that may not be God's way if you're using the knowledge and discernment of God's Word. 
So what might look like love on the surface may not be love if you're not being shaped by God's Word in the way that you love other people. You see, as the Bible, with the help of the Holy Spirit, does its work in you, your love is shaped with knowledge and discernment so that you not only know that you must love, but you also know how to love. Now, when dealing with situations with people, you're going to need God's help in knowing what to say and what not to say. (laughs) Maybe you need more help in knowing what not to say. (laughs) What to do, you're going to need God's help for that. Or what not to do. God's Word at work in you helps you approve what is excellent. We ought to be about that. We We ought not be about approving what's just okay. That's okay. Oh, I want to prove what's excellent. I want God's best for me, and I want God's best for other people. So proving what is excellent is not just knowing how to love people, and it's not just loving people. It's loving people God's way, with God's wisdom, with God's wisdom and discernment. And note the purpose for this. It's the fourth thing Paul prays for these believers. He wants them to approve what is excellent so that they will be, look at verse 10, pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Now, when you read that, let me address what you might think. Does he mean that he wants them to be sinless? Is he expecting them to? to be perfect for the day of Christ? Well, we could say yes. I mean, isn't that that what we long for? We want to be sinless. I do. I am grieved by the fact that I still sin. And we should be, right? We should be grieved by the fact that we still sin. Paul is also a realist. Does he mean that he wants them to be sinless? Well, he does, but he also doesn't expect it. Not this side of heaven. We know that that from elsewhere here in Philippians, he says this about him. If we just think about what he says about himself in chapter 3 and verse 12, we'll understand that he's not expecting believers to be perfect, sinless, before the return of Christ. Uh, chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. So the Bible tells us to confess our sins. And in Romans 8, 13, it tells us we're to wage war against our sins, saying that if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the flesh. So Paul is not suggesting they can be sinless, but he does want them to pursue sinlessness. We also know, according to the Bible, that if you have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are already pure and blameless before God. When God looks at you, He sees you through Jesus Christ as pure and blameless. So that is wonderful. That We ought to rejoice in that. That in God's eyes, we are pure and blameless, even though we still fight sin. But what Paul has in mind here is that our desire should be to continually grow in Christ-likeness. We are to pursue holiness. 
And one of the ways we do that is by having God's Word so filling us that we grow in knowledge and discernment and approve what is excellent, loving people the way God loves us. So that the watching world has nothing to use against us to justify their own unbelief. You know, that's the way the world often looks at believers. Well, they're hypocrites. Well, they're this. Well, they're that. To, to justify their unbelief. We ought to not let them have anything to justify their unbelief. And Paul prayed that the Philippian believers would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ because there is coming a day when we will appear before Christ and we will give to Him an account of what we have done with what He has given us or not done with what He has given us. If you're, if you're in a men's uh, Sunday school this morning, you heard this truth. We will stand before God even as believers, says 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Bible is clear that we won't have to be concerned with where we'll spend eternity. If you are Christ, you are His for all eternity. You will dwell with Him forever. And that will be a good thing, beyond good. <laughs> The Bible is clear about that. But we will give an account of our lives for whether we honor God with our lives, whether we were obedient to Him, whether we pursued obedience, whether we used the gifts that He has given us to honor Him in ways that bring great glory to Him and point people to Jesus Christ. And that should cause us to want to be pure and blameless before God and pure and blameless before the world we ought to want not only to be pure and blameless before the watching world so that they'll also believe in Jesus, but also before the Lord who watches over us and sees all and knows all. We ought to want to honor Him as He watches and observes our life. Make Him happy. Now note the fifth thing that Paul prayed for these believers. It's the result of what comes before. He prayed in verse 11, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You see it there in verse 11, the fruit of righteousness. Now, what is the fruit of righteousness? <laughs> I would simply say it's the obedient life of a believer in Jesus. Now, that's simple. It's a simple statement, but it's not so simple to do, is it? the obedient life of a believer in Jesus. We've already addressed this. It's going to be a challenge for us to, to pursue sinlessness because we're still giving in to temptation. We're still sinning. We're still confessing our sins before God and thanking Him for His forgiveness. But the fruit of righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit working in you, the fruit of the Spirit of God growing in you, Galatians chapter 5, it's a familiar passage to you, I'm sure, verses 22 and 23 says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And when you think about those kinds of spiritual graces that God wants to grow in you, you, you can't think about those without thinking about, oh, well, I need to obey, I must obey for these things to be growing in me. <laughs> 
Yes, you must. But note here that fruitfulness isn't dependent solely on your efforts to be obedient. It is a result of Jesus Christ working in and through you. Paul says it this way. Look at it again. Verse 11, Paul says this fruit of righteousness comes through Jesus Christ. Again, something else to rejoice in. It's not all dependent upon our obedience, is it? We're dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit in us. The fruit of righteousness is by way of Jesus Christ and His work in us. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. There's something to rejoice in there. As we think about the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. This is fruit that God wants to produce in you. His desires that you produce in your life, that you have this produce of fruit in your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. As you keep trusting in Him every day, you keep depending on Him, and you, you thank Him daily for His sacrifice for your sins. You cannot be obedient without the Spirit's help, but you have the Spirit's help. You have it. God wants you to have it. God wants you to grow in this fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. You need the help of the Word, and you need the help of the Spirit. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ working in you. Praise God. And Paul doesn't just pray for some fruit of righteousness. Did you note that? He prayed that they would be filled, filled, filled with the fruit of righteousness. That reminds us of what he said in verse 9 when he said he prayed that their love would abound more and more. He wants them to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now note the sixth thing Paul prays for them, and this is the outcome of all that he's praying for them. If these things are true about believers in Jesus, then this will be the outcome of our lives. They will be, verse 11, to the glory and praise of God. That is not a small thing. That is not something we should just take, oh, that was, you know, that's a nice way to end the verse. Huh? <laughs> no, no, to the glory and praise of God. This all builds up to this crescendo. This all builds up to this. All of this is for the glory and praise of God. This should be what the Christian life is all about. It's about exalting God, not ourselves. It's about giving the glory and praise to God. It's putting 1 Corinthians 10.31 into practice. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, you do all to the glory of God. 
And you think about your life that way. You think about your choices, your spending choices, your, your, your choices of the things that you say, the choices of the things that you do, and the, and the people that you spend time with and how you spend time with them. You think about all those details. You, you think about the way that you raise your children, or you relate to your grandchildren, or you relate to your parents. I want it to be all to the glory of God. That should be the driving passion for us this side of heaven because we want, we ought to want people to see God and see who He is and see Jesus Christ and trust in Him. Learning how to love is for the glory and praise of God. It's not just so that we'll be loving people. It's not just so that people will go, wow, those people at Chardon Baptist Church, they really love people. The next thing that they say should be, what an awesome God. <laughs> because that's not natural. I know some of them and they're changing, right? People should look at our lives and go, they're not the same people they were 10 years ago. That's a miracle. Our words and our actions and everything that we do should bring glory to God. Oh, please think about that. I need to think about that. We need to think about the things that we say, the things that we do, the things that we think, because the things that we think tend to come out of our mouths and come out of our feet, right? We, we do things and we say things because we think them. So all of that needs to be for the glory and praise of God. Do you glorify God in your thought life? Can you glorify God in your thought life? Think about that. If no one knows what you think, are you really giving glory to God in your thought life? Yes, you are, because God knows. And God is honored and glorified by the way that you think. Our words and our actions and everything we do should bring glory to God, and we should pray this for each other. Because God is glorious. We ought to want to make much of Him with our lives, and we ought to think about each other this way, that when we think of each other in our physical needs, that we also pray, God, help their life to glorify You. Paul's prayer for the Philippian believers is a beautiful example to us of how we should be praying for each other. And there's something remarkable about praying this way for each other. And note that you can pray this for yourself. You ought to pray this for yourself. These three verses ought to be a fitting prayer as you pray for yourself. But don't just pray for yourself. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ and those in your household. There's something remarkable about praying this way for each other and for ourselves. When we do, God gives much joy. We heard Paul say in verses 3 and 4. Go back and look at verses 3 and 4 in chapter 1. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with, what's the last word? Joy. Joy. There is much joy for every believer 
also who is growing in these things. Not only make this, don't, don't just make this your prayer, make this your passion that you would want your life to be characterized by these spiritual graces. These six things that we see Paul praying for. These are, these are biblical truths that, that honor God when we get these right in our lives. And there is much joy for you if you will pursue these things. So let's make sure that Paul's prayer shapes and informs our thinking and our praying. What should you pray for each other? I mean, really, what should you pray for each other? Look at these verses. These three verses are a wonderful guide to praying for each other. Mark it down. If you're in the habit of putting scripture references inside the cover of your Bible so that you can turn to them quickly, this would be one to place there. It's a good thing that we pray for each other's physical needs. And if you have a, a need that we know about, it's likely on our prayer list and, and we're praying for you, that's important. But do not neglect these things, these spiritual graces. We ought to pray these things for each other. Pray that we would grow in love and in knowledge and all discernment. Pray that we would approve what is excellent. Pray that we would be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pray that we would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And pray that this would all be to the glory and praise of God. In fact, let's pray that now. Would you bow your heads with me? Our precious Heavenly Father, Lord, would you help make this our desire? That as individuals and collectively as your church, we would strongly desire these things to be true in our lives. And that when we pray for each other, we wouldn't just stop at the physical needs, the most apparent needs, but that we would also go for the spiritual needs and that we would lift them up before you. And so, Lord, we pray this today. May we pray this in the attitude of our hearts collectively right now as I say these words from your word. Lord, help us to love. Lord, help us to love. Help us to be people who love like Jesus loves us. Lord, help our love to abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that we might approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ and that we might be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of you, God. May this be our prayer for our fellow believers, for our spouses, for our children. Maybe a prayer we pray for those we long to see Jesus and trust in him. Lord, may this shape our thinking and shape our praying and even shape our pursuits, that these might be the things that we pursue, these spiritual graces, that we might be growing in these things, bringing you great glory and honor. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.